I've got a family history of trucking. Uh, my mother's side of the family. I remember when I was a kid seeing pictures of uh, my grandfather. He built the semi piece by piece. Um, drove truck all his life. Um, my uncles. And then my father was uh, usually um, spent most of his career as a fleet mechanic and fleet uh, managing fleet um, mechanics and stuff like that. So, and, and trucking, I think, um, is really attractive to me uh, because of that. The two things: there is the the control factor. I have control over my expenses and, and how how quickly I want to dip my toes in. Um, you know, I don't have to take huge risks. I don't have to get. A facility and things like that right off the bat. Right. I can do it owner-operator, I can do it from home. And then the freedom is the second part. Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Caution Wide Right. I'm Luke, your host. And today, shortly after Veterans Day, we're going to talk about one vet's perspective, Ted Donowski, who is on the journey of getting his CDL and starting his owner-operator business. And we will discuss his time in the military, why he's getting his CDL, how the training is going, and what he hopes his new career and business will look like. Then, hopefully in a future episode, we can discuss how it's going and sort of follow up what he's learned along the way. Uh, Ted, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and so to kick things off, I, uh, it was, you know, just recently it was Veterans Day, and uh, let's start there. Um, first of all, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I know that you were a veteran in the Air Force. What got you interested in the military, and what did you do? Oh, a lot of things. I think, uh, you know, like like all of us boys growing up, and, you know, we, we want to sort of glamorize on one end. You know, you want to be a soldier and do those you know, sorts of things. You see it in the movies all the time. You, you know, also my grandfather served in World War II. So, um, you know, also there was, uh, you know, I grew up with just my dad, and so... I sort of like needed to get out and, and do my own thing sure. and you know, there's all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it was just a, it was a way to gain independence right away. Um, be on my own, earn my own way. Um, and also it was a way to serve and, and do something I could be proud of. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, when you join the military, you know, I'm sure you're talking to a recruiter and there's a lot of career paths. Yeah. Uh, what got you into to what you did? <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, so I started, I think uh, a lot of us, um, Young gentlemen, we uh, you know talk to the marine recruiters first, right? That's the big, uh, you know, it's all hoo and all that stuff. Totally. And I I did that, and I was uh, I was ready to go, um, but you know my old man was like, uh, why don't you just give the other ones a, a shot and just talk to them? And so I did that. I spent some time um, talking to every recruiter, talking about all the options, and you know I always had a, a sort of an eye towards special operations and things like that. So. Um, and the one thing I did notice was the Air Force recruiter was the one guy that wasn't chasing after people. So I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of like makes you perk up and think maybe there's something of value there that uh, he doesn't have to sell so hard. Um, right. So, and, you know, I talked to, I talked to the Navy guys about SEALs and I talked to um, the Army guys about Ranger and SF. And, and then uh, when I talked to the Air Force, um, and I didn't, like most people, you don't realize about um, um, pararescue and, and combat control. So... I found that, and it seemed like a really good niche. Um, you know, the excitement of being able to go right from uh, basic into tech school and, and follow that path. Yeah. Um, of course, the washout rates are atrocious, and I, you know, I can talk about that later. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I went and guaranteed, I, you know, 
a lot of recruiting, like people don't want you to know that, but you can you can negotiate getting a guaranteed contract. So I had a guaranteed contract for combat control. I went in, nice. um, tested before I went, and um, I got all kinds of funny stories about that. I tested while I was there too, but went to uh, to what they call an indoctrination course, um, and uh, out of fifty four of us, four guys graduated. I was not one of them. <laughs> Um, so again, atrocious uh, washout rate. Yeah. TACP was opening up, which was this uh, um, neat job where you get to work with the army and do some fun soldiering stuff and calling Air Force firepower, which I thought was exciting. So I said, well, let me, and that, that's one of the reasons why I kind of left um, CCT or, or combat control because I, you know, I didn't see that as a, a guaranteed path and it was too, you know, and I was like, no turning back and going home and starting over. So I was like, okay, let me switch over to something a little bit, you know, relaxed and uh and and it was like the wild west with those guys i mean attack p is like <laughs> cowboy um you know you're <laughs> you're you're kind of like out of sight of the air force and the, and the army's like you know we don't know what you're to do in with a these weird guys, middle so ground a, for sure it's, yeah it's strange so for those that don't know so tac p air control so tac p stands for tactical air control party uh my background, my dad served 30 years in as TAC, in TACP um, and uh, worked all the way up in, in the same grunt work, the training, all the way up to managing the guys. Um, and if you don't know what, you know, control air power sort of looks like, I always think of the movie with Mel Gibson, We Were Soldiers, 2002, yeah. and I believe that's Vietnam, but there's the, a scene where they're fighting and, you know, uh, the enemy's coming in and the guy's calling on the on the uh, on the the radio directly to you know whether it's the pilot or to base and be calling in coordinates and like we got we got cover we're gonna get air cover and these they're dropping bombs dropping uh, napalm or whatever and and it's like that's that's the image I think of. We'll get him, sir. Advancing to us on our position at one five zero. It's funny you talked about the the movie with Mel Gibson. So we used to well. So that's sort of the reason why we became. Um, um, so back then it was called Romad Recon Observe Mark and Destroy. It was uh, basically a radio guy that would follow um, a pilot who would come to the ground and get in a jeep and call in airstrikes because um, you know the army was not trained directly how to handle Air Force assets. So they wanted uh, an Air Force wanted Air Force people to handle those assets. So. That's how it evolved. But you talked about that movie where they um, they called in uh, like danger close and all that stuff. So when um, at Drum we used to get um, three days a week of live airs. So I was calling in A tens, uh, which was oh, I didn't uh, you know I knew it when I was doing it. Like man, I, I need to appreciate this because when I leave and if I ever leave this career field and stuff, I'm never going to see this stuff again, right? No matter what we face, we have the advantage. Proceed, Charlie Five. Because we know what's coming. Electric flight, clear talk. We bring the full power of the U.S. Air Force to the fight. Like, so we used to always, at the end of every uh, session or every sortie, we'd call them in on our own position, like we were overrun, so just 
come in and, and rip across it. They would do a dry run over our position. And, yep. and these, especially the, I don't know what it was about the, the Air National Guard pilots. I think because they were all like, <laughs> they were all like doctors and lawyers and, you know, and they're, they're mainstream. So like this was their weekend shot to just go ahead and <laughs> be cowboys and yep. have fun with the assets and, you know, they're multi-million dollar their, plane, right? Their process. Yeah. And so, yeah, like the, the main, uh, the active duty guys were, were nowhere near as crazy as the guard pilots. <laughs> so they, they, these guys were... Uh, they would they would come so close. One time, a guy's hat flew off his head. Um, that's how cl- how close yeah. the A10 flew overhead. We had uh, jet fuel all over a, a Humvee one time. I had one where I was standing on a on a bunker, and the guy came over top of us and then banked left and then waved at me. And I can count all five fingers on his hand. That's how close. So yeah, it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, when we were, when we were in Alaska, Dad took us out to some of the practices and you know the A10 doing yeah. their thing uh, to some targets, tanks or you know, old tanks or whatever. Uh, calling in I mean, the paratroopers or whatnot um, and having the guys drop in on a, on a drop zone. You know, when you say washout rate, there's a lot of, you know, it's special forces training. It's, it's, uh, it's hardcore. Yeah. I'm curious, like my dad would mention, you know, he's got memories of, well, I mean, he went to ranger school, so the Army Rangers. It was all special forces. And, and, and the role of TACP is really, you know, you're the Air Force guy with the radios on your back the one Air Force guy in a group of, uh, of like Army Rangers or other special forces and you're going in and they need help, something, and you're, they're, you're calling in coordinates and, and uh, knocking things out. But uh, so you work really, really close with the Army um, and the training, there's competition. You wanted to outshine the Rangers. My dad wanted to outshine those, uh, the, the Army Rangers. Like, I'm just curious for, for training, what, what memories, fond or difficult memories do you have? Oh boy, yeah. Well, first of all, t- I just yeah, talk about small world. Like I came here by chance, and I think your dad was yeah. probably an instructor while I was at the school, and it's a it's a small career field. Um, totally. But yeah, the training. Um, I never did, never went to jump school. I did uh, oh, okay. uh, air assault school at oh, okay. Fort Drum, so I did uh, rappel, and then I got to go rappel with the uh, um, rappel master school. Yeah, the rappel um, rappel stuff's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I missed those days. Um, you know when you're doing it, like you kind of take it for granted a little bit, and then when you when you leave, you know it's like you're going to look back and think, "Wow, I wish I could do that again." And you know it is a a crazy career field. It's uh, you know my dad made it through you know the harder the harder part, uh, especially with a family. But I'm curious, what got you out and into uh, I guess uh, civilian life? Um, so a few different things. Um, so I went to. Korea uh, to get out of Fort Drum. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fort Drum, upstate New it's, York. It's real. It's fun, but not real fun, right? Uh, <laughs> so I was I was there for like a year and a half, almost two years, and then uh, went to to Korea. And Korea was probably one of my most memorable because I I worked with uh, they kind of they let the SF or the Special Forces and Ranger TACPs kick the can for a long time as far as Korea duty, and then I went there when they just opened up the floodgates and they said, no, you guys got to go. Yep. So they were coming in and doing their their stuff, um, their tours, and so we had a really good group that had phenomenal camaraderie, um, really tight group. I mean, we had our own bar. Uh, <laughs> Army guys used to get kicked out all the time. Yeah, yeah, they weren't allowed to come anymore. So we had a good good camaraderie. I came back, um, and then I was I was so I did three years of full time school and my five years of active duty. So I was going to college, um, even in Korea. I was doing I think I did nine nine classes while I was there. Yep. Um, so I was pushing towards my education because, you know, being a, a Generation X, everybody's like, you got to go to school, got to go to school, um, really pushing that agenda. And then 
So I was, I was pushing that while I was in the service, getting, and back then I think it was uh, 75% uh, um, paid, and, and, they, and I think I paid my books and 25% of my tuition. So I would yep. just knocking out as much school as I could. Um, and then I came uh, back to the United, uh, United States, went to Fort Lewis. I was continuing that for the next uh, two years while I was outside of uh, Seattle. Um, I met my wife um, there while I was at uh, Lewis. She was stationed at McCord. Um, Which is basically one big base anyway. But yeah. In fact, now it's Lewis McCord. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's just a one Or unless they just changed the yeah. name. But <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so um, as that started to develop and, and we were planning to get married, um, I wasn't really fitting in with the conventional side as much anymore after, uh, you know, experiencing working with the, the SF and TACP yeah. guys, or the SF and Ranger TACPs. And then I went to uh, control at Yakima, um, and the NCOIC, the in charge of the um, first group Special Forces TACP, saw me control, and he was like, hey, we need, we need to get this guy. So it was like, okay, I got this golden opportunity, but I'm also getting married. So I had to weigh the two things, yeah. and... Um, you know, when I was looking at it at the time, those guys were deploying like 300 plus days a year. And this was in 2001. Um, and I said, you know, that's a new marriage isn't going to survive on that. So yeah, I said, let tough. me get out and continue my education and, and, uh, and see where that takes me. Maybe I can find an, another adventure elsewhere. And, and so I left, um, came here, my wife uh, had family here. So okay. we relocated here. Um, I continued my education. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, the economy, I don't know if anybody remembers, but oh two when the war was kicking off, it was a great time to be in the military, really bad time to be in the civilian sector. Um, jobs were not plentiful. Uh, and then, of course, the collapse happened in 08. So yep. it was rough times for a while. And then I completed, uh, I took a state job, um, eventually landed with the Department of Health. Um, I was I was continuing, trying to continue my um uh, career and, and uh, healthcare administration, um, doing it in state government. Uh, finished my my first master's degree in healthcare administration, and then I landed a job at Hershey Medical Center. Cool. Um, was doing that for uh, about f- five, almost six years, um, and completing my uh, MBA with Penn State. So I completed my second master's, um, and then I kind of hit a wall. Um, so things opened up with with travel nursing. Um, so my wife um, said, hey, there's a really good opportunity. I mean, the, the money was insane for yes. a while. So she decided to, to do that. And I, was, I said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sit back. And, and I, I had to do something with my hands at this point because I've been sitting at a desk for way too long. Seriously. Um, didn't fit in with office culture, just like I didn't fit in with conventional uh, Air Force culture. So I, I uh, took up welding school, did the full year uh, locally, and... Um, uh, I was trying to find a business angle with that. And I'm, I'm a decent welder, um, but there's a lot of questions that I couldn't answer with welding. There was, there was things like, uh, you know, how do I price out jobs? That was a big one for me. It was like, okay, if, if I can't see everything and make sense and I can't piece the puzzle together, and I'm not going to move forward because I've, I've got four kids at home. Um, I can't take huge risks. So um, trying to piece that puzzle together and, and figure out what expenses, the cost of entry, right. how I was going to... Um, uh, price out jobs for, for new clients and things like that. There was a lot of things that if you're not in the industry and you're working there for a while, you don't gain those secrets. Um, like, tr- I guess they call it trade secrets, right? right? So there was a lot of barriers to entry. 
um, you know, I still keep welding on the side as just a, an asset that I can use. Hopefully, if I get a trailer and I got to fix it, it's yeah, be a seriously. great asset to have, right? <laughs> um, but um, I'm not sure if you're moving towards, towards this way yet, but, you know, that's when I, I started looking at trucking. I've got a family history of trucking. Uh, my mother's side of the family, I remember when I was a kid seeing pictures of uh, my grandfather. He built a semi piece by piece, cool. um, drove truck all his life. Um, my uncle's. And then my father was uh, usually um, spent most of his career as a fleet mechanic and fleet uh, managing fleet um, mechanics and stuff like that. So cool. um, a lot of exposure. And then, I, you know, I've always found myself to be a, a pretty skillful driver. Um, and then me and the family ended up getting a 37 and a half foot uh, travel trailer. And we started camping <laughs> and uh, had an, a diesel excursion. So I got my exposure to diesel and all that stuff through that. And all the adventures with diesel. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, love diesel, by the way. But you gotta. It's hard when you get a, a machine that ends up being a Frankenstein. It's not what you want. Um, right. When other, too many other hands have been on it. <laughs> so I uh, did that and and found myself pretty skillful at maneuvering a thirty-seven and a half foot trailer. So I'm looking at a, an excursion with a thirty-seven and a half foot trailer, and I'm like, what's the difference? I might as well, you know. And and trucking, I think, um, is really attractive to me. Uh, because of that, the two things, there is the, the control factor. I have control over my expenses and, and how, how quickly I want to dip my toes in. Um, you know, I don't have to take huge risks. I don't have to get a facility and things like that right off the bat. Right. I can do an owner operator. I can do it from home. And then the freedom is the second part, the freedom to be able to, you know, um, of course, if you have expenses, you've got a truck, you don't have total freedom because you got to start paying those expenses. Right. But there's freedom, like if, if things go wrong, I don't have a boss that's going to fire me if I don't show up for work. I can say, you know, hey, I've got something more important or I'm not feeling well. I can I can do what I need to do um, and still manage a business and keep it hopefully afloat. That's where Very I'm at cool. now. And, you know, before we transition into, you know, I, I believe you haven't gotten your CDL yet. You're going through the theory knowledge part and going to get behind the truck and and do all the backing maneuvers and stuff like that. We'll talk about that in a second. But as far as... I guess how skills translate into trucking. Um, you know, one of the big things is whether you believe in the driver shortage or not that the ATA likes to talk about uh, in the trucking industry. There's obviously a shortage in quality drivers, and the driver turnover rate is pretty big in trucking. So, the need for valuable drivers with good skills is always big. And one of the draws, one of the things that, um, you know, the government tries to do is pull in military veterans or those currently serving to consider trucking transportation logistics. Yeah. I'm curious from your time in the military and then, you know, even, even after that, what skills do you see sort of translate well? What makes a, a veteran or someone who's served, um, what, what skills translate well into, you know, the, the logistics trucking industry? You know, in the military, you you get responsibility um, both with very expensive assets right. and you get um, sort of you get I don't it's hard to say I don't want to say push beyond your comfort zone but it, you're in you're in a um, sort of controlled environment mostly controlled Correct. Um, but you're uh, you're pushed beyond maybe some of the things that you would have done uh, without that Correct. without that atmosphere totally. right like especially when I'm, in special forces so, so like when I, yeah so I like talk about um, air assault school for instance uh, you know I remember sitting in line and we're and we're all repelling off the the tower you know a 40 foot tower and this thing's like wobbling around and you know it's, just, it's like looks like it's overweighted with people lined up on the stairway and 
and uh, and and you're clipping in and you're responsible for you know getting from the top to the bottom without you know I mean you've got a bolé and stuff for safety and everything yeah. but you're still in control and you're still managing something that you know for most people is is just outside of their comfort zone it's not like you get on a on an amusement park ride and it's just a totally controlled environment and you get right. all excited and but you know everything is is in total control like you're responsible for getting to the ground safely um so just that part i mean you're managing uh you know how many thousands of pounds on the road you know with other drivers and 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 you have to maneuver things and and take responsibility and take control of things and i think um the military is a great uh you know coming out of the service and having done stuff like that and they you know like i even got a chance to drive a m113 when i was in the you know the armored vehicle that was uh, that was pretty neat so you know you get exposed to a lot of things um and i was even you know being a a attack p guy working in the um uh army bases you know it's always like a negotiation with the inner service stuff so (laughs) yeah so like we've got a fleet of trucks and then we're supposed to go to the motor pool and rely on the army but Mm -hmm. you bring your air force asset and they've got a line of army assets to fix what do you think is gonna happen so what we end up doing is saying hey can we use your tools and we go and like turn wrenches on our 6.6 you know duramax and our in our humvees and i was i mean i remember changing out alternators and doing all you know changing tires and all this stuff and you know so you get exposed to the you know the mechanics of a diesel truck and, and doing stuff like that so that was my you know um i guess the stuff in the military that made me more capable to do the trucking yeah totally and i mean just even just the the discipline the, the types of training that you go through the mentality uh, that you come out of is definitely something that uh, the the trucking logistics world needs. No, especially today. I mean, yes. you talk about just just having rituals, and you know, like you get up at this time every day, and you have responsibilities, and you go to work, and you do this, and you're responsible for things. Like there's there's a lot of cushioning in the civilian world these days. So you, yeah, yeah, definitely, totally. Totally. Um, and so if you are considering um, getting your CDL and you're a veteran or you're currently serving, you know, uh, if you're especially wondering about pay, uh, what programs are out there, I mean, the military's got tons of stuff. Um, uh, we wrote an article on our, our website, CDL School website, where it's like the 17 different federal programs that you can look into to help pay for getting into the trucking logistics industry. Uh, you can find that in the link in the bio below. Um, now, so getting your CDL, you don't have your CDL yet. You're, get, you're right now going through the theory knowledge side, doing the training. Eventually, you'll get through that, get behind the truck, uh, practice some backing maneuvers and other skilled maneuvers. I'm curious what your, you know, as you approach getting your CDL, what's one of the more worries, uh, uh, you know, for getting your CDL? As far as like the getting through the training, and yeah, getting and through the training. What sounds, what seems hard, what is hard, uh, anything like that. I think the, um, you know, it's pretty. In, I, I think the semi trucks are definitely intimidating. I think most people are probably experiencing that. Like you, you look at this massive machine where you know. I try. I actually uh, at drum, um, I had to drive a five ton, ah. uh, and I got to drive it like off road, like not dirt trail off road, but off road, like through trees and <laughs> all this stuff. And I've got some neat pictures from that, but <laughs> I remember driving the five ton and, and, you know, and that's like, as far as like visual, you know, being able to see everything around right. you, there's a lot more, you know, you can see a lot more with a five ton than you can probably a semi cause you got all these flares and all this stuff around. So that, 
that to me is probably the, the most intimidating thing is like, okay, how do I, you know, maneuver this thing where, where parts of it I can't see as I'm driving around and things like that. So you really got to have a sixth sense about um, the, the machine being ex an extension of you. Uh, totally. And that's like when I, when I learned to drive, you know, I was pretty good at it because I, I sort of allowed myself to like feel the machine as an extension and understand where things were um, without seeing it. You know, yeah. I'm not relying on, oh, I can see that. I know where it is. I know where the other car is. And I, yeah. I can feel those distances and stuff. I'm not, I'm, <laughs> I seem to be losing that skill as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but, yeah. that's what the school is for. Yeah. And that's what the training is for. I, right. I, we had a comment, I think yesterday uh, on one of our videos where it's like, you know, one of the things, any of the backing maneuvers, one of them has to end inside a three foot box. Mm. Well, okay. I can't see the front, you know, I can't see that box because the front of the truck Right. You're not gonna. You got to feel it, and it's like, how do you, how do you prepare for that? It's like, well, I mean, you just yeah. got to get in the truck and, and practice it. Yeah, and that's the whole Absolutely. point. Getting used to that spacing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, totally. Um, definitely, definitely interesting. Uh, I'm curious, as you know, you know, you you said you grew up in sort of a trucking industry family. Um, when you think of favorite movies in the trucking. Whether it's a trucking scene or trucking movie, do you have a favorite? Well, I've never seen Black Dog, so I'll just <laughs> put that out there. Maybe that would change. I don't know. I've, I've got to take some time to watch that movie. Um, but uh, I think over over the top, uh, I've watched that with the kids, and the kids loved it. That's like a classic from the, back in the 80s and totally, stuff. So totally. There's so yeah, many good ones. <laughs> I like. I think that was, that was a great – actually, I was watching <laughs> – it's funny because I was watching a documentary just recently about the guys who ran the production company that made that movie and the negotiations with Stallone and all that stuff. But the the movie actually, I think at the time, because it, in, in going back to the training in the CDL, they talked about the history of how the deregulation in the 80s led to a lot of accidents. I think it was like a 20% increase uh, in accidents at the time. Right. And truckers were starting to get a bad name. Like there was, you know, people just said, you know, you, know, you got a lot of these guys that are up all night and whatever they're using, things like that. You know, there's a lot of, uh, I think, negative connotation. And then that movie sort of made a more positive light for, for trucking just because, you know, like watching this single dad try to do the right thing and, you know, making truckers look like, you know, good people too. Yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, one, one that I always toss out. Uh, yeah. is uh, Space Truckers. It's an Space. 80s movie oh as well. <laughs> it's a, it's a funny one. I not hear about this? Oh, I know. It's, it's <laughs> a funny one, too. You got, you got to watch it. I, it. I've been pushing it on the channel. But like, this yeah. is something that I recommend. Truckers, and yeah. it's basically... Uh, that come out after Ice Pirates? <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, it's funny because it's like... It, it actually does a good job addressing sort of the owner-operator versus sort of the corporate driver uh, yeah. mentality and totally bashing uh, corporate drivers and stuff. Really? Oh, it's just... Yeah. yeah they're hauling space pigs. Uh, yeah. Oh, I gotta just, watch this now. It's hilarious. It's, it's so much fun, yeah. but, uh, space truckers, space truckers. I'm looking yeah. this up. So I'm curious too. So obviously you grew up, uh, with some of the sort of trucking background. Um, but did you do any research ahead of time, whether it's CDL, knowing what to expect? I know you got some driving experience, um, you know, with something almost 40 foot long, yeah. uh, but what kind of experience or what kind of research, uh, do you do or do you recommend doing getting into the industry especially that's just getting your cdl but then yeah. going into starting a business well the business aspect and i you know i've seen um especially with trucking like trucking to me um so there's a lot of flux but yet it's always consistent around a mean right like yes 
I don't know how high and you want to go into this conversation, but I took a, a PhD course in public finance administration. And actually the capstone of my MBA both discussed, and, and these professors didn't know each other and didn't, um, didn't relate to stuff, but, but looking at the, this information. So in the PhD course, I learned about, um, I think his name is, uh, I know the last name is Piketty. Thomas, I think it's Thomas Piketty, he's an um, economist, and he wrote a book called Capital in the 21st Century. And if you look at, we have, in the, in, uh, as far as the worldwide economy, we have 500 years of data. And if you look at that data, it is a consistent 2.5% increase year after year for 500 years. So when yep. you look at things like, uh, and, if you, and actually in the capstone, uh, the related thing I saw was the professor had us look at um, some data for the, uh, the gross domestic product in the United States going back 60 years. And the same thing, it was that same mean line, right? So you've got two and a half, basically the world has the capacity for two and a half percent growth um, year after year, and that's consistent. So things like, um, you know, commodities, when it comes to shipping uh, stuff, you know, when you talk about trucking, when you talk about housing, things like that, these are like, I guess you can sort of call them commodities. Um, although I'm not sure how much commoditization is, is really involved. In but anyways, they, they sort of follow this line that they fluctuate and they go with the economy, but they always stick to this line. So when it's up, you know it's going to come down. Yep. When it's down, you know it's going to come up. And I think, um, you know, timing those things, this is why people fail, right? They don't time these things properly. So they're not, you know, it's, it's real nice and sexy when everyone's running into an, uh, an investment, right? Yep. Um, but the problem is if you've heard about it, it's too late. The money's already been had. You know, like I always run in when people are running out. Um, I did that with, with housing when there was the big crash, and I've, and I've done well because of that. I could have even done better looking back. But anyway. <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs> um, live and learn. But I, I still uh, consistently did well because I went forward when everyone says, no, you don't want to do that. Really? Okay. So <laughs> that's, when you, that's when you bring the, the microscope down and you start looking at how things are working. So especially with trucking it's the same thing it's up and then it's down but it's always following that mean because the, the growth is the same so um i think a lot of guys are either when times are good they're over leveraging oh, you yeah. know obviously and and then they're out there in the wind when when stuff hits the fan um you know and that's that's the the careful part i'm always like a, a real I'm a, I'm a risk taker but i'm a calculated risk taker so I'm always calculating as I move forward to make sure that I'm not, especially with a family and kids, you know, I don't oh, yeah. want to put them out there in the cold. So, um, you know, that's, that's my background and how I, I investigate and look at things is, you know, looking at, you know, where the market is in relation to that, to that growth and how things are consistently and currently in the, in the environment. And in that case, I mean, it's a perfect time because 2020 and COVID you had, yeah. oh my God, everybody needs to get into trucking. Right. Uh, every, everything needs help transporting. Uh, and then so people started coming in, uh, the costs of trucking went yeah. way up, uh, you know, getting a, you know, leasing or, or buying a vehicle or renting a vehicle. I just, it was, it was insane. Like I was looking ugh. at trucks and every, and I, and I always run whatever truck I'm looking at. I say, look, I've got my mechanics and I want that truck to be taken down to my mechanics to look at. And every truck they wanted over blue book and it needed like $15,000 worth of work. And yep. I'm like this, I'm not. I can't buy things overvalued like that. And yeah. then, you know, cause I know once the, the other shoe drops, I'm going to be Which, out in the way. And that's what's been happening. Yeah. We're in a freight recession, um, mm. basically bottom and you know, that we're expected to get out of it. You know, Q2, Q3 should be a good start uptick. And so again, it's that perfect timing. Um, 
to, to get in and, and uh, get started, start building those relationships and yeah. be ready for the ride up. I mean, because everybody that's going out right now are the people that over leveraged and people yeah. that spent way too much on something that now they can't afford. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you can get through, if you can get through it the on the other side, it's going to be good stuff, good that's, timing. That's so. the thing. Yeah. Always making sure that you're sort of staging yourself so that you've got a consistent base that you can fall back when things don't work out as well and you can still stay in business, right? You still want to yeah. keep in, in business because it's, it's just the nature of it. It's up and down. So your new business, Hotshot Trucking, it's Aurelius Logistics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after you get your CDL, what do you sort of see uh, as a success in sort of that six, t- six months to two year time frame? So I'm, I'm currently sort of a victim of my own success. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, Last April, I started the process with uh, Lancaster Fire Department for, for a firefighter position. Um, and I thought, okay, like a, a firefighter position, being able to do that would still leave me, the, you know, open to be able, because of the schedule. I, right. can, I can do trucking on the side, which would be perfect. Um, but the problem is, uh, and, and now I'm in like the last uh, less than 10 guys for like three to five positions out of like 150 we started with. So it seems to be going well. And if it works out, um, the problem I'm faced with is I've got, a, I got 15 weeks of academy. Right. So now I'm, I've got my dream truck that I found. Uh, I kind of like just set it out there in the universe and it dropped in my lap and for a <laughs> price I couldn't, I couldn't deny. Um, and so I got this, this truck, this beautiful truck. Luckily I have another investment that's, that's paying for that. Um, but if I, if I get the, the, the firefighter position, if that works out, then I've got a, a sort of a curveball um, yeah. because now I've got a truck, but once I flip the switch and get a DOT and MC number, I've got to start paying that insurance. And what's going on with insurance right now is just insane. So being able to, to obviously, once I do that, flip that, and then you've got the expense of the, the broker the broker system and all yep. that stuff. So that's a monthly charge. You've got all these expenses that all of a sudden fall in place. And if I'm not able to get on the road and start earning money to pay those expenses, I'm going to have to probably set that off a little bit until I get on the job, at least for, for that. So. Right. There might be a stall coming up, um, which is why I haven't progressed uh, uh, quite as quickly as I wanted to through the CDL. But, um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. Sort of a, if it works out, it would be great because, you know, I can kind of live out my childhood dream of uh, the firefighter stuff. And oh. that, that'll give me some excitement that I'm, I'm missing since the military. Yeah, exactly. No, it sounds like fun. Um, camaraderie, excitement. And, and, and I think I'm in a place right now where I can give to that job what it needs. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully it works out. But, again, I have to balance this this stuff. I'm still definitely, Aurelius is still moving forward. Um, but I've got to balance this, this takeoff position. I don't want to put myself in a position where I can't cover those. Oh, totally. Those Which is like of course to. the smart, yeah. smart way to think about it. And, yeah. and I know, you know, we also wrote an article about why you don't need to get a CDL to drive a fire truck and in, in, in that career field, but why it would be important to get one yeah um so um yeah yeah if you guys want to check that out article as well it's on the website um cnstrains.com but um if if aurelius uh gets going and you know i'm just curious on the business planning side of things so you know you you mentioned it before there's a lot of costs whether it's the vehicle which it sounds like it's handled you got insurance fuel when you start going um, maintenance and, and everything else, um, it sounds like you would be prepared or at least know what to expect, know what you're getting into, which is great. 
Um, but the other side of it is is the well, I mean, we we just finished our seven step trucking roadmap series uh, for for new trucking companies, and you know we start with like what's lifestyle do you want as a carrier? Uh, your pre startup planning process, your compliance process uh, for starting a business, insurance needs, managing cash flow, finding loads, and new entrant audit when it does come down the road. Yeah. Um, in those various topics and, and research, you know, what do you worry about, um, or what what did you have to do more research on? Well, I got to say, uh, before I discovered you guys, I worried a lot more. Um, <laughs> but CNS, I mean, being able to, you guys are like a one stop shop, which is just phenomenal. So being able to come here and, and kind of uh, not having to, to spend all that background, you know, because you can you can do it on your own, right? Um, but you're going to spend a lot of time, and I don't, you know, I don't think I think coming here, the juice is definitely worth the squeeze. Um, so yeah, I, I I have concerns about all that stuff. I think the the main thing is, and I think um, another reason why uh, guys are maybe falling out too is they're not collecting data. So if you don't know when you're actually making money, yeah, and oh, yeah. and also, I mean, if 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 you don't collect data, then how do you know where the money is? You know, what I mean, like. You know, being able to to figure out what customers are giving you the, the most, you know, what areas are giving you the most, you know, you want to, you know, you want to leverage the most for your time. Um, and I think just, I think a lot of guys are, are mistakenly just going out there and trying to grab everything. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, that, that just kind of, uh, it leaves you for, you know, disaster. So. And yeah, one of my favorite uh, things for research on this topic is the finding loads piece. So you got working directly with shippers yeah. uh, and having a, a customer relationship that way, uh, which is key if you can build it right away or have a starting point. Mm-hmm. Then you got load boards, if that's trying to find something as you go or something to fill time, or yeah. if you're crazy enough to try to do that full-time load board uh, rates, which uh, is is not fun, but it's a totally different world. And then yeah. you got the brokers, uh, relationships and managing that and them finding the loads for you as you go. Um, and all of that has, you know, it's a, it's a different learning process, learning curve, and um, different type of relationship building. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a sales, you're selling yourself, sales piece yeah. uh, mentality that you have to have. I'm curious, um, finding loads and that process, uh, you know, what's, wh- you mentioned brokers before. Is mm-hmm. that, was that where you would potentially want to start or? I think I would, uh, I mean, it all, all depends on my first setup. So if, if I, if I'm able to start, um, and, and just do hookups, uh, you know, if I can do that to, to pay for a trailer without having to leverage myself first, I might, I might try to go that way. I know the the returns probably aren't going to be as nice. Um, so there's a lot of considerations involved and, and pieces of the puzzle I'm trying to put together. Um, as far as, I mean, Obviously, direct relationship with shippers is is going to be the um, or with you know, people uh, shipping things is going to be the, the the best route to go. And I think this area in central Pennsylvania is phenomenal for that because you've totally. got all these production factories. You've got the Amish uh, producing the cottage industry stuff that's being sent to Jersey and New York. And yep. although I don't know if I want to drive to Jersey, but uh, <laughs> New York and everywhere else, uh, all the other surrounding states, um, you know. So I think uh, you know. That would be my, my main focus if I can, if I, cause I've already got some connections with a lot of those things uh, locally. Um, so if I can, if I can piece together those direct relationships, I'd definitely be going for that. Um, but again, that's, it's all about negotiation and selling yourself, um, you know, making sure that 
you're you're reliable um you're showing that you're you're consistent and and things like that so but you know it, i'm i'm still open to to the brokers and and of course the load boards i think that's a necessity i mean if if you can't if if you're trying to rely on just one you know pathway totally. it's it's not going to be it's going to dry up every here here and there so you've got to have something else that you can flip to yeah and you know and that's the the trouble too is you know, if you leave one world too long, too, and, you, and you're in the other one, then the other one kind of forgets you exist. And then when you show up again, they're like, oh, now you want loads? And, you know, so it's a, it's a careful uh, line to toe. Um, but, again, you gotta, you have to look at uh, what – and it's all negotiation. So you have to look at your opportunity. Like, you know, my, my family always comes to me about negotiating for new cars because they <laughs> <laughs> people get emotional. Like, they get oh, really yes. attached to, like, oh, this is the, you know, like, they get one-itis about the, the car and, and things like that. And I'm like, look, you know, it's all about what your opportunity is. Um, you, you don't put emotion into it. You look at what's available. You scan the whole environment. And then it's all about where the opportunities are. So if you've got, you know, if somebody's offering you, you know, 90 cents a mile, you don't get pissed off about it. You look at what else is available and you start, you know, and widen your net and, right. and try to figure it out. You know, that's, you just take it as you go and then try to, and I think a lot of times I think, you know, maybe guys aren't negotiating with brokers like they should. I think that's a big one. Um, yes. Look, you've got to, you've got to be able to say, Hey, you know, the average, this is the average right now. This is what the market's doing. You can do, you can do better for me. Yeah, and well, that's where, like you said, knowing your numbers. If yeah. you know your numbers, and you're yeah. like, I can't, I can't do it because this is why. And yep. if you have a good reason, mm-hmm. okay, they'll, they'll, yep. you know, it, it makes that conversation a lot better. Um, and and even you know the other side of it is just vetting before you even have start that relationship. It's they're vetting you. Mm-hmm. You vet the the brokers as well. You vet yeah. the, um, you know, the the shippers or the direct customers that you're going to be working with vet them as well because you want to have it's a relationship both ways not just you know you taking their loads absolutely um and i'm curious you know if it was to take off and and be successful um do you have a long-term plan growth plan get more people to join go long haul with a big semi or expand your region anything like that long term if it were to ever take off yeah i'm not really i mean the over the road stuff is, I mean, it's not really that attractive to me. I'd, I'd like to stay more local if I can, and I'm, I'm hoping. And from my research, it shows that this area is really good for that. So I'm, I'm lucky in that respect. Um, you know, as far as the growth, I think uh, you know, growth you have to be careful with. I mean, that's why people fail is biting off more than they can chew. Um, yep. And there's there's those periods where you know, especially when you're hiring on employees and stuff like that. I've, I've it's in the back of my mind and I'm looking at it, but I don't have a, I don't have a plan for that. You know, I'm not, um, you know, I'm okay with, with not, you know, becoming the the next uh, huge fleet and, and and corporation that's, you know, you know, landing millions of dollars. I'm okay with that. Um, And I'm not going to get rich as an owner operator. I know that. Um, I just really wanted something that I'm in for now is that something I'm in control of and that gives me freedom. um, And, and this seems to have all those things. So. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you for joining me. Um, I'm excited to sort of see, you know, we wish you luck as you get through the training part and starting it off, whatever road that tends up, ends up going. Um, hopefully we can follow up down the road and, and see yeah. where you're at, but uh, definitely appreciate your time. Yeah. Um, if you nice. have any questions uh, or comments or suggestions, uh, feel free to write it down in the comments below um, and, uh, you know, be fun to pass those along. 
Uh, if you're looking to start a, a career in trucking or transportation, I mean, reach out to CNS. We help from the CDL school side for training, starting a new business, all the way to fleet management, um, safety, compliance, literally everything. Um, and if you just want to learn more about the industry and what you're getting into, I mean, we have a startup roadmap series, uh, which, you know, I can put a card up in, in the corner and we have tons, hundreds, I write hundreds of articles every, you know, every year we have articles that we write on the industry and um, things to think about. So go check it out. Get your knowledge based on find someone to talk to. If you don't have friends in the industry, if you don't have family in the in industry, talk to someone. Um, and, and that's going to be the biggest, the other biggest piece there. Uh, but you can always give us a call, uh, and we have links and information in the bio below. Uh, but again, yeah, we wish you the luck. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, everybody wish him luck yeah. uh, as he gets through this process. And um, again, you know, thank you for joining me. Yeah. I, I would just want to say real quick, oh, yeah. thank, thanks so much for having me here. And if if CNS wasn't here, I, I wouldn't be at the stage I'm at right now. So I want to say, uh, you know, coming here was like a huge exhale relief, like it really feels like, okay, I'm starting a new business, but I've got like a whole corporation behind me that's like, you know, supporting me in every step of the way. So that's phenomenal. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that you guys exist over here. And I'm a mile and a half down the freaking road. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you. And, and with that, thank you for watching. And as always, stay safe yep. out there. Thanks.